0: 1,659 doors, of those 1,659 doors, 708 people answered their door. Of those people that answered their door, 245 contact cards were collected. And of those, there's been 7 baptisms and numerous ongoing Bible studies that have been going on. 30 new movers baskets were delivered. And 1,068 compassion cards were delivered during that week. And those numbers I just read to you, from seven baptisms to 1,659 doors knocked, that did not take place in India. That did not take place in Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama, Peru. It did not take place anywhere. It took place, or anywhere overseas I should say, it took place in Covington, Tennessee on June the 11th through the 18th. I am proudly work with House to House, Heart to Heart, and uh, direct the American Mission campaigns with Rob Whitaker. And next week, on June, July the 23rd through the 30th, we'll be in Knoxville, Tennessee, doing the same thing we did in Covington, and we covet your prayers. Uh, We'll be doing the same uh, methods. We've uh, had a lot of good success last year in Rome, Georgia. We did this for the very first time, and we wanted to repeat this process. So we decide that we're going to do it. We're doing two this year. Lord willing, we're going to be doing three next year—one in Texas, one in North Carolina, and one in Virginia. And then the next year, we'll be going back and doing two campaigns—one um, in uh, one in Kentucky and one in Illinois. And we're just continuing to spread the gospel throughout the United States, doing these type campaigns, and um, a lot of good good works coming coming from uh, what we've done. We've had seven baptisms and uh, from door knocking. And people say, door knocking doesn't work anymore. Well, we, we found some philosophies and strategies that do work. Um, we had two baptisms during the week. One was a, a study the preacher had ongoing. Another was a, a, um, a person that had been going there for a very long time. Uh, thought her baptism was the way the Bible said. And she learned during the seminar that she needed to be baptized for remission of her sins. Left that night, went and taught her mother and taught her, her sister the gospel. And they were baptized into Christ. And uh, numerous other ongoing Bible studies. So be praying for the people in Covington as they they continue to follow up. Be praying for um, the the campaigners we have right at 100, right below 100 registered for this campaign. Uh, They'll be out door knocking in in the Covington and Carnes communities. Be praying for them. Be praying for those that we knock on their door that we can find good and honest hearts to teach the gospel. And because of that, I'm going to preach on evangelism this morning. You know Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. This morning I want us to look at a man that is the only man in the Bible that is defined as an evangelist. You know Paul was a great missionary journey. He he went on three missionary journeys that we can read about in the books of Acts. You know leaving all the uh, his hometown, going and going and living in some very harsh conditions, going through some very difficult times, shipwreck, beaten. I had to be let out of a basket to escape and all those different trials that Paul went through and he was a great missionary. But there's only one that the Bible describes as an evangelist and that is Philip. Philip the evangelist. You can read that quotation in Acts 21 and verse number 8 as he is described there as an evangelist. But I want us to look at Philip as an evangelist and say, hey, how can we imitate him? You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at Philip and we I want us to emulate ourselves after Philip so we can also be an evangelist. You know, the, the great commission that I just just read to you from about Jesus quoting there before he ascended into heaven was not just given to preachers. It was not just given to elders, but it was given to every member. Every member of the Lord's church needs to evangelize. They need to find a way to reach out to the lost and dying world. So I want us to begin in Acts chapter 6, be looking at verses 1 through 7. And I always to begin by looking at our first point as Philip as a minister. Philip as a minister. And I want to use this term minister. I'm talking about a servant. And that's what a ministry is. A minister is a servant. Here in Acts chapter 6 there is a there's is an issue in the early church. And it is these these widows indeed are being neglected of their daily distribution. We're going to talk about that. But the issue was they weren't getting their food. They weren't getting the supplies that they need to be able to to live their life. And so what the apostles did was they appointed certain men to handle these issues. Many people refer to these men as the first deacons of the church. I just call them the special servants. Okay, So let's let's dive into Acts chapter 6 looking at Philip as a minister. Look at verse number 1. Now in these days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a great complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now the Hellenists were those who were born outside of Palestine and spoke Greek. So they were not your normal Jews. They were were those that lived outside the, the area of Palestine and they spoke Greek. Now what were they complaining about? What was the issue, the grumbling, maybe even some translations say? Because their widows were neglected and the daily distribution. Now, some translations add the word food in there, their daily distribution of food. But the issue was that they weren't getting the things that they need. They weren't getting their food, their daily things in which they need. Now, look at verse 2. Then the twelve. Underline that, the twelve. Of course, that, that reference there to the twelve is referring to the twelve apostles. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples, said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Now I want you to focus in on that phrase there because I think it's very important to understand where Philip is in his lifestyle and in his ministry at this point. Because I think if Philip was a great preacher and I think that he was a great evangelist at this point, they would have not summoned him to go serve tables. I think they would have said, we know, Philip, you're not an apostle, but your, your, your talents are too valuable to go serve tables. We're going to keep you back. But at this point in Philip's life, what does he do? He leaves to go serve tables rather than preach the word of God. Okay, now what does that show us as Philip? He is a minister. He is a serving. He has a loving serving attitude towards these people. Look at verse three, continuing. Therefore, brethren, now knows these qualifications. Okay, we're going to know several qualifications here, as far as who they had to be. In order to go serve these tables, go help out these widows. It wasn't just anybody; they had to have certain qualities in their life, and and Philip had these, and these are the same qualities we need to have in our Christian life. He says, therefore, brethren, seek out from you seven men. So they had to be men; that was their gender. They had to had to be men. Knows this of good reputation. They had to be have a great reputation among their community. They could not uh, be living one way in the church and living outside the church in a different way. Being being like the world when they left the church building. But they were one that had a good reputation. They were one that lived the word of God wherever they went. Secondly, notice this. They had to have full of the Holy Spirit. That is, they were respectful towards the word of God. They lived the word of God. They they did it. They didn't just know it, but they lived it out. And thirdly, they had wisdom. That is, they had reasoning. So, I mean, you got to think about this. This is a, a, a very good quality to have. They had wisdom. They had, the different, they had a, they had a uh, distinct way of reasoning. Because here they are, they're going to have to deal with people. They're going to have to deal with people that are upset. They're going to have to deal with people every day. And they had to have wisdom. They had to have this idea of reasoning and how to be able to relate to people, to talk through problems, to, to be able to reason with them of the things that they were going to be. So what's some spiritual qualities that, that this man Philip had? He had a great reputation. He was one that had respect towards God, and he was one that was full of reasoning. And those are some things that we need to have. Let's continue reading. Whom we appointed over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministering of the Word. Notice the comparison there. This verse begins with the word But. But we talking about the apostles. What can men? We're going to we're going to be praying for you. But we're going to stay here and minister to the word. We're going to continue to preach the word. We're going we're going to continue to go into synagogues and teach the, the word of God while y'all go serve these tables. Verse five. And the, and then uh, they said please to the whole multitude and chose Stephen, a man full of faith of, and of the Holy Spirit, and knows this Philip. And then you can see the other men that are listed there. Verse six. Whom they had said it before. And the apostles, when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And verse 7, the word of God spread, and, mul- and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So as we look at chapter number 6, what some things that we notice about Philip? Number number one is that he was a minister. This man had a servant's heart. He was willing to go and serve serve these widows to help them out. He was a man that had a good reputation. He was respectful, and he had reasoning. But I want you to think about this as well. Is Philip was a minister to everybody. He was a minister to whoever, whoever he came in contact with. Now I want us to go to Acts chapter 8 to see this. We're going to focus in on the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch here in a second. But I want us to notice this next part about, about Philip. Look at Acts chapter 8. and Look at verse number 5. Then Philip went down into the city of what city? Samaria. To preach the gospel of Christ to them. Now, as we read that, you just think, okay, he went into another city. But what do we know about Samaritans? What do we know? We know that they did not like Jews, right? The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Read the... Read the uh, account there in John chapter four as Jesus is talking to that Samaritan woman, and what does she say to Jesus? Why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? Why, why, why are you? Why have you come to this land? Why, why are you here talking to me, a woman? Number one, but number two, a Samaritan. It was because Jesus loved her. Why was it that Philip was willing to go into the city of Samaria because the gospel of Jesus Christ could reach those people? I think that's one important thing that we can see as far as, as Philip, a minister, he was willing to go wherever the gospel needed to go. And the gospel needed to go to Samaria. If you go with me in your minds to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, there, there it gives a foundation for, for where the gospel went. It began in Jerusalem, and then it spread into what? Judea and Samaria. And where is the gospel at here in Acts chapter 8? It is in Samaria. And then chapter 13 through the end of the book is the uttermost parts of the world. And that's why we can go into anywhere and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think that's one thing we noticed about Philip was Philip was willing to go wherever the gospel needed to be able to go preach. Go with me to John chapter 4 very quickly. Hold your your ribbon here in Acts chapter 8 because we're going to be coming right back here. But go with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I just mentioned this, but I want us to notice this in its context. Of course, this this is Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman and and you, and you know this story very well. He, he, he takes a, a physical conversation, a friendly conversation, and turns it into a spiritual conversation. He, he says, give me a drink. And then, then he turns it into a spiritual set, uh, conversation there in verse number 10. If you knew the gift of God and, and who it is give you give me drink, you would have asked him. Uh, he would have given you living water. And then he turns it into everlasting water in verse number 14. But I want you to notice verse number 35. After all this conversation with this Samaritan woman, what does Jesus closed with after this conversation? Look at verse 35. Do you not say there is still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look under the fields, for they are already white, for harvest. What's the application there? Hey, there is great fields. There are great fields out here in the Chattanooga area. That we don't need to overlook. Many people would overlook this woman, saying, "Number one, she's a Samaritan. Number two, she she's got a marital issue." But what did Jesus do? He sat down and talked and spent time with her. The fields are white and ready to harvest. Many people would have said, "You know what? I, I, as I go, as I, I'm going to go preach to this Ethiopian youth. man, I, I'm not going to go into Samaria. You know, the, that's a that's a dangerous area. That's that's an area that I don't agree with. I, that's an area I don't." Well, what did Philip do? He says, "Hey, that that, that area is why ready to harvest, and I'm going to go there and preach the gospel to them." I think there in John chapter four, and looking at its context, that 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 city he's talking about is Samaria, and so Philip there is, is willing to go wherever the gospel needs to go to be preached. So the first point I want us to look at is Philip as a minister. He was he had a good reputation; he was full of respect and reasoning. He developed into a great evangelist. But he also was willing to go where the gospel needed to be preached. Looking in Acts chapter 8, I want us to notice Philip's message. Philip's message. When we look at ourselves as an evangelist, we got to have a message. You know, the, the, the message is where the power is. As I mentioned, Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. The message is what's going to preach their hearts, Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. That's what they did on the day of Pentecost. When they preached the word and they heard it, they were cut to the heart. So what message did this man preach? in order for them to hear the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse number 4. Therefore those, and I think it's important there that it, that it's talking about those that were scattered abroad, those that suffered persecution because of Saul. If you look at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Therefore those, who is those talking about? It's not talking about the apostles only. It's talking about the church members. It's talking about every member of that, of, of, that was a Christian Went everywhere preaching knows this, how does it define it? The Word. So when we go into the, go and teach somebody, what do we need to preach them? We need to preach unto them, them the Word. Look down at verse number five. Then Philip went down into the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So we see number one, he preached the Word. Number two, he preached Christ. Look down at verse number 35. Uh, we're getting into the conversion of the Ethiopian He says, then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So, what three things do we see that included in his message? Number one, he preached the word. He proclaimed Christ. He preached Jesus unto him. But what does that mean? Look at Acts chapter eight, verse number twelve. I think I think if if you want to summarize Philip's message, if if you want an overview of of Philip's message, Acts eight and verse twelve summarizes everything. And this is the same message we need to do in teaching somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, "But when Philip believed, when they believed Philip." As he concerned the things, what? What was the things that he preached? What's the things that he talked to them concerning about? Number one, the kingdom of God. Number two, the name of Jesus Christ. And number three, both men and women were baptized. What three things here do we notice that Philip preached unto them? Number one, it is the kingdom of God. Friends, we need to tell our friends about the kingdom of God. We know that the kingdom is the church. Matthew 16, the verse number 18 Jesus said that upon this rock I will build my church. And then verse number 19, he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. So what, do, what can we conclude there? That the church is the kingdom. So we need to preach to our friends about the church of Christ. We need to let them know that, that we are not a denominations among many other denominations, but we are pre-denominational. We go back before denominationalism was established and try to be the one church that the Bible teaches about We need to tell them about the worship of the church. We need to talk to them about the name of the church. We need to talk to them about the organization of the church. We need to preach to them about the kingdom of God, the church of Christ. But number two, he says the name of Jesus Christ. That is the the authority of Jesus Christ. Anytime we see the, the, the phrase the name of Jesus Christ, that means by his authority. Well, how do we get our authority today in religion? The Bible, right? Colossians 3. And verse number 17, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means the same thing here, by the authority of Christ. We need to lay out to them, hey, the Bible has all truth. The Bible is complete. The Bible is everything that we need to do. The Bible is our God in religious matters today. And that's what they did. And then thirdly and finally, they were baptized, which is the salvation which is found in Christ. Those are the three things Philip preached. Those are the same three things we need to preach. And I notice out there in your lobby area, you got these little booklets, green, red, and blue, or green, blue, and red. You know what all three of those books go over? The green one is the authority of Christ. talks about the establishment of biblical authority. The blue one talks about the church of Christ. And the red one talks about the salvation in Christ. All written by Bobby Bates. And he used this model by Philip to write those books. So when we go out to a lost and dying community, what do we need to teach to them? We need to teach to them about the name of Christ. We need to talk to them about the kingdom of Christ. And we need to talk to them about the salvation which is found in Christ. Many people would say, you know, well, he preached unto him Jesus. That means we need to talk about the man, but we don't need to talk about the plan. Friends, if you just sit back and look at Acts chapter 8 as we're about to do in detail, what does it mean to preach Christ? It means to preach about his plan. Because what does ultimately this eunuch do? He was baptized into Christ. If you look at First Corinthians chapter number two and verse number two, you know, there Paul is talking about preaching and talking about the importance of gospel preaching. But but those ways he says here in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And he, and he goes on to say, hey, that's the message in which we preach. In verse 4, he says, My speech was not, uh and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in the demonstrating in the spirit and the power. So here in this context, he's talking about, hey, the message which I preach is Christ and Him crucified. So does that mean that every message we need to get up here and we need to preach about Jesus on the cross and how He died for our sins and we need to preach about the message in which He preached? We need to preach those sermons. But we also need to preach about that man's plan because what, what did Paul go on to talk about in 1 Corinthians as he, as he talks about Christ and Him crucified? He talks about immorality. First Corinthians chapter six. He talked about the the, the forsaking and partaking of the Lord's Supper in an improper way, First Corinthians chapter eleven. He talked about giving in First Corinthians chapter sixteen. He talked about marriage, divorce, and remarriage in First Corinthians chapter seven. So what does preaching Jesus entail? Yes, a man's talking about about the man. But friends, we gotta talk about his plan. We gotta talk about what he has done for us and how we can live for him. Today, So we, we've noticed very quickly, number one, Philip as a minister, how he was a serving minister, but then he, he also preached the message of Jesus Christ. We noticed his message entailed Jesus as authority, Jesus' church, and Jesus' salvation. But thirdly, and, and very importantly, I want us to look at a model. I want us to look at the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch from verse, verse number 26 down through the rest of the chapter, verse number 40. And I want us to notice... What did Philip do in teaching somebody the gospel? There's some very important things that Philip did here that we need to do when we teach somebody the gospel. I'm going to break down this point in the model in three ways. I want us, number one, look at Philip and learn what what Philip did as an evangelistic person. Number two, I want us to look at at characteristics of a good prospect, a good contact to teach the gospel to. That is the unit. And then I want us to look at, at a good Bible study method. How did he teach him? the gospel. So let's let's begin with the model looking at the looking at Philip, the evangelistic person. Look look at verse number twenty six. It says, and an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, now I want you to notice the destination which this man started and where he is going. He started it in Jerusalem and goes down to Gaza. Most commentators suggest that this is roughly a little bit below 100 miles. Now, think about that for a second. 100 miles. That's a long distance to travel by foot or by camel. It's not not very easy. We, We think 100 miles, we can hop in a car and be there in less than two hours if there's no traffic. But this man had to travel by foot, travel by... By some kind of means of animal. That took a long time. But he was willing to do it. So what can we learn about this man? He was willing to go the extra mile. He was willing to go the extra mile. Literally a hundred miles. To go teach this one man the gospel. Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? Now of course this, this was maybe been out of his comfort zone to travel this far. But are you willing to go out of your comfort zone? You might be saying, "Also, I'm, I'm not a teacher. You're willing to maybe try it. Are you willing to go out of your comfort zone a little bit to teach someone the gospel. Maybe you just need to show the love and compassion towards somebody you're wanting to study with. Are you willing to go the extra mile? Maybe, maybe have them over for supper and cook them a nice meal and show them the love and compassion of Jesus. Are you willing to, to sit and write down cards to people? That may be having a hurting time. Are you willing to spend a little extra time to reach the lost? Philip was. Philip was willing to go the extra mile. He was going to even willing to go the the Savior's mile. And we too need to be willing to go the extra mile to teach the lost the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look down at verse number 27. So he arose and went. As, As simple as that phrase is, I think it's very important. Because the next characteristic characteristic of an evangelistic person is they are obedient. They hear God's word and what do they do? They do it. An evangelistic person is one who goes and lives out the word of God. Their life that they live is congruent to the word of God. Friends, we can't go out and teach the lost but act like the world. We've got to be different from the world. Romans chapter 12 verses 1-2 through 2 tell us that. That we can't be conformed the world, but we need to be transformed, and that transformation starts with the renewing of our minds. So we need to be obedient, just like Philip was obedient. Continuing there in verse 27, he said, he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, a great great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now I want you to notice this. This man taught one man the gospel. An evangelistic person does not worry about the size of the crowd. An evangelistic person does not worry about the size of the crowd. It's great if you can get an auditorium filled with thousands of people and preach the message of Jesus Christ. And there's preachers that can do that. But are you willing willing to sit down with one sinner and teach them the gospel? This man wasn't worried about... Going all this way to teach one man the gospel. What about us? Are we willing to sit down with one person and teach them the gospel? There's many preachers in the brotherhood that can get up at big auditoriums, preach great gospel meetings, and guess what? They can pack the house. But sadly, they can't sit down with one sinner and do a Bible study. It's out of their comfort zone. But friends, we need to be willing to do that because every soul matters. Every soul matters. Think. I want you to think about the value of the soul. How important is a soul? It's the most important thing, right? It doesn't matter if you gain the whole world or what? Lose your own soul. That's why Philip was willing to go sit down with this one man and teach him the gospel. Skip, skip down with me to verse number 30. So Philip ran to him. Here he is. He's reading Isaiah the prophet, as we can read in verse 28. He, he goes over to him, and he hears him reading it, and he runs over to him. What does that show? An evangelistic person is full of energy. Many people, when when they when there's a Bible conversation going on, what do they do? They run the opposite direction. What, what do we see Philip do here? He runs over to him. He runs over to him to preach unto him the gospel, of Jesus Christ. Friends, we gotta be energetic. We gotta take advantage of opportunity. Here it is. This man is an opportunity. Of course, uh, the angel of the Lord helps him in this opportunity. But we gotta take advantage of opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to I them. And we need to be energetic about it. We gotta be excited about the message that we preach. Because the message in which we preach can bring salvation to them if, we're, if, we're, if they're obedient to that message. Look at verse, continuing there verse number 30. And he heard him saying, reading Isaiah the prophet, and said to him, Do you understand what you are reading? Hey, hey, Phil, do you understand what you're reading? A good evangelist asks questions. I know there's a school teacher here, and they can relate to this. What does asking questions do? You can see what the person knows. Right. If, if I if, if I'm up here teaching and I ask you a question of something I just taught, what does that do? That tells me, hey, they understand what I just asked them. And that's the great thing about Back to the Bible. It, it, it gives you the questions that you need to ask. Friends, a good evangelist asks good questions. Here he is. He asks, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And of course, we see his response: "How can I unless someone guides me?" And of course, he sits down with him and preaches unto him. Last point about a, a characteristics of an evangelistic person can be found in verse number thirty five. Then Philip opened his mouth and began this scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And that is they are knowledgeable. They are knowledgeable about God's word. Many people use that as a crutch, right? Well why aren't you evangelistic? Well I just don't know enough. You know, you know I I you know I just I don't know enough about the Bible to be able to teach somebody the gospel. Friends, we need to read Hebrews 5, 10 through 12. Because there comes a time we ought to be teachers. There comes a time in our spiritual development that we ought to be teachers. And we're not. Because we are not being knowledgeable about the Word of God. But you take those little booklets, that red, red, blue, and green booklet. And you go through them and see, see how simple it is. All you do is read the passage and answer the question. And you become knowledgeable on those booklets... You can go teach somebody the gospel, I guarantee it. Be knowledgeable about the Word of God. Know it and continue to study it. So if you're not ready now, you will be able to share the Word of God with somebody one day. So evangelistic person is willing to go the extra mile. They're obedient. They're not worried about the size of the crowd. They're energetic. They ask good questions. And they're knowledgeable about the Word of God. Now let's shift over and look at a good contact. Who is somebody that I need to be out searching for to teach the gospel to? You know, you read the parable of the sower, you read about the good soil, you read about the the wayside soil, you read about the rocky soil, you read about the thorny soil. How can I find the good soil? Number one, we we need to realize, hey, you know, I don't need to plant, pick and choose who I teach the gospel to, and I need to plant. I need to just scatter that seed wherever it goes. But sometimes it's easier to tell if somebody's a good contact. This man was a good contact, number one, because he was sincere and diligent. Look, looking at verse number 28, it says, And he was returning, talking about the eunuch, and sitting in the chair, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now what was he returning from? He was returning from Jerusalem. Why? For the purpose of worship. Now what do we know about this man? He was a eunuch. He had traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship, and guess what he couldn't do? He couldn't go into the temple to worship. He had to stand on the outer gates because temples were not allowed, or eunuchs were not allowed into That gate. So he went all this way to worship God, but he couldn't worship. And he's on his way home, and what does he do? He's reading the Bible. He's reading from those old scrolls of Isaiah, learning about Jesus and the prophecies that would lead up to Jesus. So this man was was sincere, he was diligent, but number two, he was searching. I mean, here this man is. He is reading about this lamb, he's reading about it, and he's wanting to know more about this man. Have you, have you ever found somebody that wanted to know more about Jesus? Wanted to know more about maybe even the church of Christ and what we believe? Take advantage of those opportunities. Because that is how you can get in a Bible study and teach them. There are those who are searching. There are people that are upset with what their their churches are teaching now. With the way that they are informed to the world and going in with different uh, things uh, such as uh, the culture But friends, we need to be searching for them because they are a good contact. Last point about a good contact from this text is they are one that asks questions. Three times in this text they ask questions. Look at verse number 31. How can I unless someone guides me? Verse number 31. I ask you, who's this prophet say? Of this man, of himself, or some other man? And verse number 36. What hinders me from being baptized? Friends, if your friends have questions about the Bible, about whatever, take advantage of that opportunity and say, I have these little booklets. I can show you more about the Bible. Go through that green booklet, go through that blue booklet, and go through that red booklet and show them what Philip taught them. When your friends have questions, take advantage of it and teach them the gospel. But let's look at characteristics of a good Bible study. Characteristics of a good Bible study number one preaches Jesus. The message is focused around Jesus and His Word. We don't, need to, we don't need to give them the philosophies of men. We don't need to give them historical proof. We don't need to give them all these different things. We need to stick with the Bible. Because the Bible is the only thing that can save us. John chapter 12 and verse number 48 is the only thing that's going to judge us in the last days. And because of that, we need to stick to the Bible and let the Bible speak. That the Bible preach their heart, so we need to preach Jesus to them. And, that, and we've already mentioned that means His plan as well. A good Bible study is built upon prior knowledge. Look at verse number thirty-five, and then he opened his mouth and began at this scripture. What does that mean? He took where he was at and built upon it. He took where he was reading and talked and, and talked to him Jesus, and then built upon it because ultimately he became a Christian and was baptized. He built upon the prior knowledge. And the last thing about a good Bible study, and this is the application is, you got to have a method. you got to have a method. It can't be just a conversational piece. you got to have a method. And I suggest Bobby, Bobby Bates is back to the Bible. It basically does everything that we've talked about from Acts chapter 8. It's the same message. It's the church of Christ. It's the word of Christ. Or the authority of Christ. It's the salvation of Christ. That's an inspired model. And it goes right to the Bible. It lets the Bible speak for itself. You read the Bible, you answer the question straight from the text. Friends, there's nothing better than the Bible study that just lets the Bible speak for itself. Have a method. But what's some things that we conclude from this lesson? An evangelist must be willing to share the gospel with everyone. Here this man is, Philip, willing to go into the region of Samaria to share the gospel. He's willing to, drive, to go all this way, 100 miles, to teach this one man the gospel. That was from Ethiopia. Friends, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you're from. It doesn't matter what your background is. We need to be willing to teach those people the gospel because they have a soul, and that soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. And we need to be sure to make sure that they are going to spend eternity in heaven. Evangelists must be willing to go. He went to teach this one man the gospel. We We read the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but we forget that word Go. Go. Go ye means go all. Every member of the Lord's church needs to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Evangelist needs to learn to listen. L- listen to people. Be a good listener. A good evangelist listens to people. Hear this, this this, eunuch he is reading from Isaiah the prophet. And what does Philip do? He listens. He listens. Listen to people. Listen to their needs. See how you can help them. See what, what you can do to show the love and compassion of Christ to get into that Bible study. Evangelists need to stick with the message, the saving message of Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to do. I want to close this morning by looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to look at verse number 5. Here, Paul is writing to the young evangelist, Timothy, and he's getting to the very end of his life. He's about to be killed, and he knows that, and he writes this very last epistle. Because right before he read the verse we read, he says what? I fought a good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Hence there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not me only, but all those who uh, loved his appearing. But look at verse 5. Notice what kind of words he encourages this young preacher to do. He says, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. And then notice this. Do the work of evangelists. You know what that tells me? Preaching is work. An evangelist is work. It's not just something that's going to happen overnight. It's not just something that's, that's going to take place you know, by habit. But it's something you've got to put work in. It's something you've got, you got to put effort in. It's something you got to lay time aside to do. It's going to take work. We looked at this example of Philip this, this morning. He did the work of an evangelist. He's the only one in the Bible that's by name mentioned as an evangelist. We looked at him as a minister. We looked at the message in which he preached. And we looked at a model that we can follow after as being a good example. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a question there in Acts chapter 8, verse number 36. He says, what hinders me from being baptized? He saw that he needed to do it. There was water. He said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? So I ask you this, this morning, what hinders you from being baptized? If you hear the word of God, Romans 10, verse 17, you believe what you hear. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 8, verse 24, you're willing to repent of your sins. Luke 13, verse 3, you're willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Matthew 10, 32, and 33. You're willing, you're, you're willing to be buried in that water grave and the baptism. There's nothing hindering you from being baptized. But maybe you're here this morning you've done that. But you've fallen away. You need the prayers of the church. Be, be glad to do Nothing more than to pray with you and for you. Because if you read Acts chapter eight, there's a conversion that takes place. It's, it's the Simon the sorcerer. And what happens to Simon? He falls away. He wants to buy that magic or buy the by the gifts there. He, well, he thinks it's magic. What is what does he tell them to do? Repent and pray. And that's the method we can follow. Repent of whatever you're, you're doing, and we'll be glad to pray with you. We can help you anyway. Come now as together, we stand and as we sing.